I want to invite your attention today. Uh, We're still in our series in Ecclesiastes. Uh, We're today chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. I know we haven't done this in a while, so how about we stand for the reading of the word today? How about that? Amen? Amen. That's good. Ecclesiastes 3. Oh, thank you so much. It's my Linus blanket right here. I just can't. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Ecclesiastes 3, uh, verses 14 through 15. The word says to us from the English Standard Version, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. And today we want to talk from this thought, the eternal nature of God and his work. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. The eternal nature of God and his work. Now, after spending our previous time discussing the limits on human life, two weeks ago we talked about TikTok, your life is on the clock. So we have a limit to human life. After doing that time and spending time discussing that, you know, now we are subject, and how we are subject to time and space, as well as the truth that there are seasons of life which occur, and the times of these occurrences remain elusively out of our control. We now turn our attention to the other side of the spectrum, if you will. Now, after his poetic dialogue about the mortality and futility of humanity in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, time and season for everything under the sun, Solomon here reveals the very thing that separates us from the almighty God. We are mortal, limited by the elements of time and space. We can only occupy the space in which we exist or stand right now. We cannot move back to the past, nor do we have the cognitive ability to jump into the future. We are fixed in the point of time called the present. Each moment, each second is the present for us. Once the clock ticks, that moment becomes the past, and no matter what we do, we cannot reclaim that second. Amen. In addition, as we stand here in the present, no matter how hard we try, we cannot jump ahead to the future. We can speak of past regrets and success with great eloquence, but we cannot change what has already occurred. We like to use the term, well, let me take that back. But can we really? We can't really take back anything said, anything done. We can speak of dreams 
about our future, how we plan this or that, but we cannot with any degree of surety cause a certain outcome in time that is not yet arrived. Time and chance happens to us all. Now, this is a dilemma for humanity. From the time of the garden, our inquisitive nature has always desired to know. Now, you know, some of us are more nosy than others, amen? But pretty much all of us want to know. We're born with a seeking heart, a desire to know more than we know. The more we know, the more we wish to know. As babies, we explore our world in order to know more about it. We have all watched infants pick up things that in no way resemble food. But yet they still try to eat it. (laughs) Because they're trying to know about food and feeding. In the Garden of Eden, the first man only knew obedience, but the enemy tempted him to know disobedience and the hearts of Adam and Eve pursued what they did not know, disobedience. We are by nature curious of the unknown and perhaps there is nothing more unknown to us than eternity. Mankind has wondered about eternity for as long as we've wondered about time. The great William Penn wrote these words. He said, for death is no more than a turning of us over from time to eternity. The comedian Dennis Miller, a comedian and an actor, he wrote these words or said this. It's ironic that in our culture, everyone's biggest complaint is about not having enough time, yet nothing terrifies us more than the thought of eternity. Johnny Erickson Tata, Christian author and, 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 and actually in many ways a, a great evangelist for the gospel, she wrote these words, every time we go to sleep, it's a rehearsal of the day when our eyes will ultimately close and we will wake up on the side of eternity. It is within these thoughts about eternity that we see thoughts about time, about fear, and about the inevitability of eternity. At some point, we will transition to eternity. But just as true is the fact that we have no knowledge or control regarding the time or season that that transition will be upon us. So what is it? my brothers and sisters, that really bothers us? Is it the inevitability of eternity or is it the reality that immortality is not achievable by human work alone? Immortality is a question for us because deep within us, we all know that God himself put enough of his immortal nature in us our very soul, to remind us daily that no matter what we do or how much we want the labor of this world to matter, we are destined for eternity. The famous French philosopher Blase Pascal wrote this about the immortality of the soul. He said, 
the immortality of the soul is a matter which is of so great consequence to us and which touches us so profoundly that we must have lost all feeling to be indifferent about it. Deep inside we know. Our hearts yearn for the one who placed this peace of eternity in us, the one who by breathing life into our nostrils also breathed himself into the crown jewel of his creation. The Bible describes this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where we read these words, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Yet in our yearning for God and eternity, at least the knowledge or connection with eternity, Solomon presents us with dynamic truth about the eternal nature of God and his work. He writes in Ecclesiastes 3 and 14 and 15, He says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what is driven away or what has been driven away. Now, there are three salient points The preacher teacher here of Ecclesiastes makes in these two verses which are consistent with human mortality juxtaposed against divine immortality. In other words, we see ourselves as mortal, but we also see this immortal God. And we need to note that there is a clear and distinct difference between ourselves and our mortal uh, lives and God and immortality and his eternal being. The first thing that the preacher teaches us here is that an eternal God does not do temporary work. Now, I'm going to let that marinate in you for a minute. An eternal God does not do temporary work. What an awesome statement this is. Let me phrase it in a way similar to what the preacher is saying in this text. Whatever God does lasts forever. That is a powerful statement with tremendous implications for creatures like us who are limited by time and space. Why? Because nothing I can do in my own power lasts forever. Nothing. Look at somebody and just say nothing. Nothing I can do lasts forever. When I was coming up, and I liked baseball, and, and, and I looked and I said, man, Babe Ruth hit 714 home runs. Nobody will ever break that record. Well, somebody forgot to tell Henry Aaron. <laughs> Henry Aaron hit 755 home runs before he retired. Then, then again, in, in looking at the sport of baseball, Lou Gehrig played in 2,130 straight games. The Iron Man, nobody will ever break that record. Well, they forgot to tell Cal Ripken Jr. 
who played in 2,632 straight games. And somewhere, somewhere right now in the major leagues is somebody that's going to break Cal Ripken's record. Or maybe some little kid picking up a baseball for the first time. Nothing lasts forever. You turn into the NBA. Will Chamberlain scored 31,419 points in his NBA career. And we thought, even growing up, nobody will be like Wilt the Stilt. Nobody will break his record. Well, they forgot to tell Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who scored 38,000 387 points and even now there are three men who are below Jabbar but above Wilt Chamberlain on the all-time points list nothing we do lasts forever nothing we do in the power of these hands alone lasts forever even one day the tallest and the sturdiest of buildings will succumb to time and its deteriorating effects. Remnants may survive for a millennia, like like some of the ruins in Rome, but the original structure is subject to time because it was made by human hands. But let us look here at what the preacher is saying. God is not subject to, to these limitations. His eternal nature produces eternal work. Let me say that again. His eternal nature produces eternal work. Think of the implications of what that means for you who are believers. Let me just give you the implication. When you ask Jesus to save you, He saves you forever. Oh, come on here, somebody. I don't need to get a tune-up on my salvation. I don't need to take my salvation by the store, find a part because it's starting to break down. I don't need a paint job on my salvation. When he saves us, he saves us forever. Somebody ought to get excited about that. Watch this now. When you ask Jesus to release you from the pain of your past, he releases you forever. If you're picking up the pain of your past, it's not because Jesus didn't set you free. It's just that you've gotten so used to carrying that weight, you think you ought to carry it. That sets somebody free in here right now. He releases you forever. You let people come around and tell you what you used to be. I remember when you used to drink and smoke and get high and all that stuff. Good for you. You've proven you don't need Jincoba. You can remember. But understand something. I am not bound by what I used to be. I may not be all that I'm going to be, but thanks be to God, I'm not what I used to be. I wish I had two or three people here. Watch this now. Think of the implications of this. When you ask God to free you, watch this now. When you ask God to free you from the pain caused by the sins of others who project their evil upon you, 
in the form of racism, sexism, discrimination, and all manner of injustice, Jesus forever frees you from the pain associated with the sins of others. Now, if, you are, if there's any place you all be clapping, it's right there. I know you was kind of halfway excited about the other stuff. But you really ought to be excited about the truth that Jesus has freed you from the sin of other people, from the pain caused by those who have let you down in life. You are free from that pain. Don't don't pray to the Lord and ask him to Kick open the jail cell door. And when it's time to leave, you just sitting there. Door wide open. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I'm so used to being bound up that I'm, I, I don't know how to live free. And that's what happens to too many believers in life. We are so accustomed to living bound that freedom frightens us. Watch this now. When you ask God, think of these implications of God's eternal work. When you ask God to use you as a witness of the gospel, our Father takes your mortal mind, your unruly tongue, and your hands that can get into some of everything, He takes those things and produces a work in the lives of those we lead to Christ that will last forever. Just so I make this plain to you, what that really means is that God uses substandard material to build something eternal. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. minute. Substandard. You know, we don't ever want to see substandard using any project God starts with this lump of clay that, that's us and he says I'm the potter you're the clay I'm going to use substandard clay full of gaps and holes and rough edges and all those things and I, out of you out of you Paul says we have this treasure in vessels made of clay that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us What God does, he does forever. His work is eternal. Maybe you don't don't believe me. Let's let's look at the scripture here. Isaiah 45 and 17 says this. It says, but Israel is saved by the Lord. Look at those words. With everlasting salvation. You shall not be put to shame or confounded to all eternity. Now, now look at this. Look at what God does for the believers. Matthew 19, 29, Jesus says this. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake, they will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. John 6 and 40, Jesus says this, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. John 10 and 28, Jesus says this, I give them eternal life, and they will never 
perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Seems like some believers ought to be getting excited right there. The devil can't take you. Paul says this in Romans 6, 22 and 23. He says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, watch this, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So God's work of sanctification has a purpose, has an end, eternal life. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 2 Corinthians 5 and 1 says, and this is the one I like, for we know that if this tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building. God's working, I'm telling you. God's at work. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This is why the old saints used to sing that song. There's a leak in this old building and my soul has got to move. There's a leak in this old building. This body begins to break down and my soul starts packing up, packing up, getting ready to move on. And so what does, what man does is limited in space and time, but what God does is eternal because God is eternal. It stands to reason a finite creature will only do finite work. But an eternal God will only do that which reflects his eternal nature, work that will last forever. So stop. Stop right now. Asking God to jump on your enemies. I know some of y'all praying that prayer. (laughs) Lord, get them. (laughs) Get them, God, get them. You know they ain't right. You know they're trouble in my way. You got got to get them, Lord. And the Lord says, "Stop, stop asking me to jump on your enemies. Start praying for them. Start loving them and start sharing Jesus with them. Watch this now. We can add nothing to God's work, nor can any human hand take anything away from the work of God. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to understand this in real strong sense and strong terms. Look at the person sitting next to you and say this. Repeat after me. Say, I am a work of God. You can't add to me what God does not give. And you sure can't take away what God has done for me. Now somebody ought to give God some praise right there. You can't give me nothing God hadn't added to my life. Now here's the second point the preacher really wants us to get. Not only does God's work is not temporary, it's forever. But here's the second point. God has a purpose in his work. God has done it. This is what he says. So that people fear before him. So there's a purpose in the work of God. Not only is it eternal, it has 
purpose. There is a reason. There's a meaning to God's work. The great moment of rationale in this text may rest in the fact that God has a purpose in his work that only he can rightly pursue and achieve. God works so that people will reverence him and glorify him. Only God has the right to work for his own reverence and glory. This is why it never works out for you when the goal of your labor is your own glory. Watch this now. Some of us getting an eye opener right here. You have been working and working and working and believing that you're doing the right thing, but your motive is so people could notice you. Oh, what a wonderful Christian brother that is. What a wonderful Christian sister that is. Oh, look at her. She just looks like just the, the epitome of holiness. I mean, we come walking in, it's almost like we're floating on air. And we, we work so that people can recognize our labor. And the reason we know this, because you wouldn't be jealous when somebody else gets recognized. If you wasn't working for that recognition, you'd be celebrating your brother or sister. And so, so you, you, God is the only way. It doesn't work out for you when you work for your own glory. What God does he does for the purpose of his own reverence so that people see his glory and come before him in reverence. Second Corinthians 1 and 20 says this, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So when God gives a promise, the yes is already there because God has already promised. And God doesn't promise anything that he's not going to do. That'll catch up with you when you get home. Psalms 21 and 5 says this, His glory is great through your salvation, splendor and majesty you bestow. Oh, on him, God is glorified through salvation. Psalms 97 and 6, the heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the peoples see his glory. John 1 and 14, and the word became flesh. God was working for a purpose. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. Jude puts it like this in Jude 1, 24, 25. He says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, God's working, and to present you blameless, but not just to do that, for your sake, but to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Watch this now. Be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. God has this great and high purpose in all that he does. The preacher here wants us to know that, that God works to his own glory. 
We do not have to understand it. He does not need our permission. And certainly he does not need our help. He works not to our glory, but his own. The glory of God seen on our lives is still his. Watch this now. So next time you go around telling people how you got saved, stop trying to take God's glory. You didn't have sense enough to get saved. Hmm? You were born with a reprobate sinful mind. You were born with a mind that was seeking after the flesh and things of the flesh. And if you really want to be honest today, just throw your hand up real fast and say, that was me. Don't let nobody see it next to you. They, they don't realize how far you've come. <laughs> but that, that, was really, that was really us. And, and so, so we didn't have brains enough, sense enough, intellect enough to get saved. It was the Holy Spirit. When the preacher said all sinners come to God, it was the Holy Spirit that tapped us on the shoulder and said, they're talking about you. He brought us to himself and he ought to get the glory. So next time you're talking about how you got saved, change that to when God saved me. I was lost. Sinking in sin, far from a peaceful shore. When God save me. His purpose is the salvation of others through us. And that is why we are allowed a modicum of his glory. It is not our glory or our testimony that saves. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stop trying to get folks saved on your testimony. See, that sounds a whole lot like what you're doing it for your glory. You know, well, let me tell you where the Lord, the Lord had done for me. I was this and I was that. That's all nice. Wonderful. That's a beautiful thing. And your testimony is a beautiful thing. But people are not going to be saved by your testimony, but by the testimony of Jesus Christ who came to this world of sinners and was made sin for us and died on Calvary. I wish I had a witness there. Now, if you say you went to the cross for some sinners, go ahead and tell your story. But if your testimony doesn't end with, oh, yes, and I was nailed to an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame, and, you know, for a world of lost sinners, I died. If your testimony doesn't end there, then it's not your testimony that is saving people. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your testimony is the result of the gospel working in your life. It is the sum total of God's grace in your life. People are not saved on our goodness, but upon the blood of Jesus. Now, in my opinion, my brothers and sisters, the body of Christ... We need a serious dose of humility on this point. In modern culture, Christians do far too much to make people think that we're so much better than them. We wear our salvation almost as an idol and begin to worship 
ourselves and what has happened in our own lives rather than giving the glory to God. What would happen in the world if God's children, if God's family all decided at the same time we are going to, to in humility, admit that we had no path to God except the fact that God came and he chose us. We are humbled by the fact that he brought us into his family. We need a dose of humility. The last thing I'm going to share with you before we go is that only God can hold the past accountable. Only God. Look at verse 15 in Ecclesiastes 3. Watch this now. The preacher says, that which is already has been. That which is to be Already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Perhaps one of the reasons we struggle with the finite nature of our lives is that we try too hard to seek after that which has already occurred. Think for a moment about how much time spent in your life chasing the past. Perhaps you chase past success, trying ever so hard to drag that past into your present. Maybe you are chasing past failures, subconsciously reliving your mistakes because even in the pain, you have found a certain comfort of the familiar. You so used to hurting, you think you're supposed to hurt. You're so used to carrying the burden of the pain of what happened in your life, the mistakes you made. We chase our past youth so much so someone smarter than me said this, youth is wasted on the young. When I was young, I didn't have anything to say and it seemed like everybody wanted to hear it. When I got old and had a lot to say, it seemed like nobody wants to hear. <laughs> so you've been, you've been pursuing your past and the pain because it's become familiar to you. It's comfortable to you. Let me share this with you as we look at the preacher's take on time and the past. The preacher says this. He says, that which is already has been in the present there is nothing new. Everything you think that is new is not new. You think you made up a new cuss word? <laughs> Somebody did that before you. <laughs> you think in your mind that you've created something brand new? Look at what he says, that which is in the present already has been now watch this though just so he doesn't leave you there that which is to be meaning in the future already has been so in other words that which is coming has already occurred oh that's messing your mind up right now in the future there is nothing new if the preacher was to end his thought right there, 
it would leave us in a desolate and desperate place. We would have no hope of newness in the present or in the future. This begs the question of what happened to the newness that God intended humanity to experience. Sin is what happened. Sin ruined all hope of newness. So humanity cycles through life knowing that everything I celebrate by the works of my hands, somebody has already done it and already celebrated it. Everything I do by the works of my hands to try and bring renewal to my future has already been done. But thanks be to God that the preacher doesn't leave us in the place of despair. Do I have a witness there? Glory to the Lord that the preacher does not leave us on the island of desolation. Left to regret and remorse about the fact that long before we were born, it was already set that we would be born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Praises be to God that God is the one that seeks after the past and calls it into account. What the past thought it had locked away in order to condemn you. God went to get so he could set you free. I wish I had somebody here. What the devil thought he had locked away so that on your last breath he would bring it up and say, remember when you used to do drugs. Remember when you used to drink all the time. Remember when you cheated on your spouse. Remember all these sins. God went and got it. Unlock the devil's cabinet. God knew that he could do nothing, absolutely nothing uh, about, uh, God knew that he could do everything about our past. So one Friday, one good Friday, God grabbed sin in the past all the way back to the Garden of Eden. He took hold of what was. He brought it into the present, but he didn't stop there. He grabbed sin in the present and he held it in his mighty hand. But he was not finished. He grabbed sin in the future and put all three past, present, and future upon Jesus. God was at work and eternal work. He made him to be sin. Who knew no sin? Just for us. Just Just when sin thought that it could escape the cross. Just when the devil thought that he had Jesus dying on Calvary. Jesus said in a loud voice, it is finished. Hallelujah. What is he talking about? That work of getting your past hurts, your past sins, your present sin, and your future sin. It is finished. God's eternal work. He doesn't do anything temporary. God's work lasts forever. Don't you let the enemy tell you that somehow God did an incomplete work in your life. 
if you are a child of God right now, you ought to stand on your feet for just a moment and celebrate that there is a finished work of God, that you represent a finished work. Your salvation is complete. You grow in grace. You become more sanctified, but your salvation is complete. It is is finished look at your neighbor and say it's finished it's finished i may not look like it but it's finished i may still have some problems but it's finished i may still have some issues but it is finished